1: Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans, this is my wife, Karen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And this program, this podcast exists to help every couple thrive in marriage. We want you to know that you can succeed in marriage. You have a 100% chance of success. You just need the right information. And we're talking on the program today about romance, rust-proofing your marriage. This is from the Indestructible Marriage series. We're talking about romance. This is one of the most important but least understood issues in marriage and every couple this is a daily need for every couple but you have to understand how to do this and have to how to meet each other's need for romance but before we get to the teaching karen we've got a couple of questions from our listeners and this is uh, one for you uh my wife and i have very different personalities she thinks that i need to change but i'm not sure this is healthy how do you not lose your own personality in marriage
0: yeah Well, I think, uh, first of all, of course, we're all different. And you always like to say, you know, if if we're the same, one of us is not necessary. And so um, I think that with personalities, you just have to learn to accept and respect each other. You know, I mean, there must have been something that she liked, you know, that she married him in the first place. And, you know, you and I were so totally opposite when we got married. and, um, And I remember, you know, the frustrations you and I both had with the differences that we had. But I just remember crying out to God, you know, that God, I can't change him, but you can change me. And so, you know, I think it's healthier to focus on our own selves and let God change within us what needs to be changed so that, and then you'd be shocked at how how much that helps the other person to be free from that tension and the expectation that I've got to be a certain way or else, you know. And so um, I would just say, you know, pray and then ask the Lord to change your own heart and as he's changing you, you're going to see things happen in your marriage that'll be phenomenal.
1: I totally agree. I, I think that um, if there's something specific that your spouse is doing, this is my uh, my wife wants me to change my personality. Mm-hmm. Are you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, are you dominant? Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's something specifically that your spouse is doing,
0: but that's behavior. That's I, exactly yeah
1: yeah. But I'm saying to say I don't like your personality. Why did you marry him in the first place? Mm-hmm. If you didn't like him. But, but it typically comes down to something specific. Yeah. Um, you're sarcastic, you're mean, you're out to lunch, you're whatever. And the, the point being, if there is something that you're doing that is hurting your spouse, you wanna change it. Mm-hmm. But if it is a general thing about your personality, what can you do? Mm-hmm. And, and it says here, how do you not lose your personality in marriage? You know, uh, the, the concern that I have with that aspect of the question is, marriage is about serving your spouse. Mm-hmm. It's not about preserving your personality, mm-hmm. and so whenever we're married, and I'm trying to meet your needs, I'm not worried about having. I want my personality to be a personality that you like, yeah. and I want my personality to be a personality that that is a servant, mm-hmm. meeting your needs. I don't want this individualistic American. Uh, this was that what it is. Mm-hmm. Is everybody wants to be an individual, but everybody wants to fall in love. Yeah. But you can't. You can't fall in love until you're willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That. That's good. Yeah, you've got one there. Uh,
0: my wife has worked at the same place for almost five years now, and has become good friends with many of her male coworkers. This makes me uncomfortable, but she doesn't think this is a big issue. Is it appropriate to have close friendships of the opposite sex?
1: No, uh, there's nothing wrong with having uh, friendships at work. Yeah, um, they need to be. If if for a woman, her close relationships need to be with other women. Uh, for a man, your close relationships need to be with other men. But to have close friendships with other men, it's just, it's just a, a bomb waiting to go off.
0: Well, and especially, even if she thinks it's innocent now, if she starts having problems in their marriage, right. she's gonna to turn to them for the emotional comfort, yeah. and then it's just downhill.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, you know, when you have, uh, many years ago, when before women were in the workplace they are today, uh, adultery was lo- a lot less common. And then when you started introducing men and women into tight workspaces together, that's when you started having an explosion of adultery because they're around each other, mm-hmm. and if there aren't clear boundaries, yeah. and the boundary is, yeah, I'm your friend in a work sense, mm-hmm. but I'm not your buddy. I'm not, I'm not the one that you can in. And so you go to work and you sit and you talk about this, you talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get into your personal life and stuff. That needs to be with someone uh, of the same sex, not someone of the opposite sex. So it is inappropriate, uh, and I I just think you need to talk it out and and be sure that. Uh, you work through it properly. Um, I hope this has been helpful to you. We're going to go now into this issue of romance and marriage, the importance of it. We hope this helps you. Revelation chapter two, we're going to read the, uh, a letter that Jesus wrote to one of the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus now, this is the first letter to the seven churches, it's interesting. The first letter that Jesus writes to the churches is the church at Ephesus, and he says you've left your first love, and I'm not good with that. The last letter he writes is to the church at Laodicea, and they're lukewarm. And he said, if you were cold, I could take it. If you were hot, I could take it. But because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. So here's a relationship that started right. It started passionately at this church at Ephesus and Jesus. They had a first love. They had a passionate love for Jesus. And what happened was church took over. They became distracted. It's like a married couple who gets married and they're passionately in love. It's all about them. And then kids come along. And before you know it, their relationship is a casualty of the family. It was once about them, now it's about the family. And what Jesus is saying here to them is you're dutiful, but you're distracted. You cook good, you take good care of the kids, but you're not as interested in me as you used to be, and I'm not okay with that. In fact, I'm warning you. If you do not get your first love back, I'm not gonna normalize this, I'm not gonna say it's okay, because it's not okay. If you do not get your first love back, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its midst. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. It means the manifested presence of God. It means I am not going to continue to manifest my presence among you as I have before. I'll be with you, Jesus is all places at all times, but not his manifest presence. The second thing it means is this, when you're in the darkness and you're trying to find a church, You're looking for a church that's on fire for God that has a lampstand. And people in darkness can find churches naturally whenever that church is on fire for Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, if you don't get your first love back for me, I'm removing your lampstand so the people in darkness can't find you. You say, well, why wouldn't Jesus want people who are lost to find a church that's maybe lukewarm? Because lukewarm Christians are a bad advertisement for a great God. And God doesn't want people to come to church to learn to be religious. God wants people to come to church to learn to love him. And so, but but let me say this. Someone has your first love. I mean, see, when Jesus has your first love, I mean, Jesus has your first love. When Jesus does not have your first love, somebody else does. It could be your children, it could be your job, it could be NASCAR, it could be the Dallas Cowboys. That's the right response to that it somebody has your first love and see here's the issue that somebody that has your first love didn't create you in your mother's womb they didn't die for you on the cross that person that has your first love does not deserve your first love jesus deserves your first love and so he says to them by the way he says to them i'm not okay i'm not okay with you losing your first love these are these are laws of physics. Uh, matter, all matter in the universe is in one of three states according to the laws of physics. All matter is either dynamic, which means it's growing, it's building. It is static, which means it's no longer growing and building, or it's entropic, which means it is, uh, is uh, deteriorated. And so dynamic, static, entropic. So if you ma- imagine a flower that's growing, that's dynamic. If you imagine a flower that has stopped growing, that's static. If you imagine a flower that's dying, that's entropic. Well here's the point, anything not growing is dying. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is either growing or dying. But it cannot stay the same. Anything static becomes entropic. The only thing that can stay dynamic is something that never becomes static or entropic. Okay, their relationship with Jesus has become static. They're not falling away from Jesus. They don't hate Jesus. They're just lukewarm, that's the first step. See, married couples get married, and you know, typically, the honeymoon period of the marriage is the best part of the marriage. That's why we have the saying, the honeymoon is over. The, honey, the, the, the saying, the honeymoon is over, is saying this. Our marriage is no longer dynamic. Our marriage is no longer growing. Now, we have settled into the ruts, and welcome to Boringville. That's what you're saying. All bad things happen there. Long before a marriage goes into crisis, it was boring. Long before a marriage goes into crisis, they they stopped growing as a couple. They stopped growing and their marriage began to deteriorate. You have to work at marriage. You have to make sure that your marriage stays passionate and stays dynamic. And so like a car, I'm talking about rust proofing your marriage, a car that no longer has a shine, and then begins to rust and ultimately becomes unattractive. It becomes weak and inoperable. That's exactly what happens to marriages. Now the good news is there is a chemical that removes emotional rust. It removes emotional rust, it restores like new, and it wards off damage. And you possess that chemical, and that chemical is called romance. And it is one of the most important issues, but the mo- one of the most least understood issues in marriage. I was, I was studying one time many years ago uh, for a marriage conference, and I was gonna teach on romance because I didn't understand it. I was like, well, I, I need to figure out what this is. I went to the dictionary and I looked up the word romance and it said "See romantic I went to the word romantic and it said "See romance The people who wrote the dictionary didn't know. No wonder everybody's so confused. So it is instinctive when we meet. You're you're, you're Mr. Don Juan when you meet her, you know that. It's it's instinctive when we meet, but then it wears off and we we can't remember how to get it back or we don't know how to get it back. So there's instinctive romance and there's educated romance. Educated romance means I know how important this is and I know how to do it and I know how to keep it in our marriage. That is the purpose of this message. And so once instinct fades away and we lose, you know, the the romance that was naturally there at the beginning, a lot of confusion then happens about this issue of romance. Many people think that romance is for women and strange men. You know, the romance section of a bookstore, you ever go into a bookstore uh, and they have these big romance sections. It's all women. It's all women in there. Now, if you ever see a man in the romance section, don't go in after him, you may not come out. Just stand on the edge and look at him. When he looks at you, just shame him. He shouldn't be in there. But a lot of people believe, it's for women and strange men, a lot of people believe that romance is a feeling that you can't control or a mood It is something that you're totally in control of. They also believe it's a seasonal extra. It is a daily feature in every great marriage. Romance is every single day for men and women. Men have as great a need for romance as women. I'll explain it to you here in just a minute, but men and women have an equal need for romance and it is the cornerstone of passion and intimacy in marriage. It promotes and protects the relationship skills. When you stop being romantic, you lose the skills of relating as a couple. You just get lazy, you stop stop being the person that you need to be for your spouse. It also closes the door on outside temptation. And there's never a justification for affairs or anything like that, but one of the reasons that they happen is because needs are not getting met. Uh, Marriage has become mundane, it's become boring, and there's an excitement out here that we don't have in here, and so the more romantic you are in your marriage, all good things happen, and it keeps your relationship growing. So let me talk about the four chemical elements of romance. If you're gonna mix it up, if you're gonna make this chemical that is gonna rust-proof your marriage, four things need to happen. Number one, meeting an unspoken need or desire in your spouse. Romance is about meeting an unspoken need. It, if you keep having to say it, it's not romantic. Bob, bring me flowers today. Bob, write me a card today and say you love me. Say you really love me on there. And Bob does it. That's not romance, that's just called obedience. So if, if you have to keep saying it, it means somebody's not paying attention. Now, let me say this, In, when you're dating, you naturally are studying your, the, the other person. You're studying them so that you can preemptively do things that you know please them. I wonder if they like this cologne, I wonder if they like this outfit, I wonder if they'd like to go over here, I wonder if they'd like to go over here. And you're constantly wondering about what you can do preemptively to please them because you wanna win them over. But then you get married and you stop doing it. You fall in love because you're highly focused and proactive. You're proactively doing things you think that that your boyfriend or girlfriend at that point in time Here's what romance says, you're on my heart. See, when a husband or a wife isn't romantic, it just means I don't think about you when I don't have to. When I'm at work, when I'm with my friends, when I'm with the kids or something, I don't really think about you. When when you do something romantic, what you're saying is, is, I think you're on my heart. Regardless of whatever else I'm doing, I'm thinking about you, you're with me. The other thing it's saying is I'm paying attention to what you need because I want to please you and I want to serve you. I want you to be happy and I take personal responsibility to meet the needs in your life that you couldn't meet and that's why you married me. And so I'm studying you. And the core issue here is desire. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. We all want to be desired. Our our greatest need is love and our greatest fear is rejection. We don't want to be rejected. We want to be desired every single person wants to be desired. And romance is the language of desire. I desire you. If you're not romantic, it communicates a lack of desire. What's this. So here's why we fall in love. You say, well, why do we fall in love with another person? Two reasons. Number one, there's something about them we like. There's something about them that we admire. Uh, I met Karen when we were 16 in biology class. I just thought she was good looking. I didn't know her very well. I didn't know her personality, but I just liked the way she looked. I mean, she's pretty. And the more that I, you know, got to know her, the, the, the more we fell in love, the more I liked her. But there's another reason that we fall in love. I like the way you make me feel about myself. See, the reason I love Jesus is because I admire him more than any other person in the universe. And I like the way he makes me feel about me. No one in the universe desires you more than the Son of God. Did you know that? And no one in the universe has ever demonstrated desire for you like Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He came to earth to pursue us and he wants us to be his eternal bride to spend eternity with. Does that make you feel good? It should make you feel good. We love Jesus for a reason. Let me say this. If you make me feel bad about myself, it makes me feel bad about you. And the reason that we fell in love is because you desired me. You demonstrated through your actions, proactively, that you desired me. And because you were proactive about it, it made me feel as though I was special. And we fell in love. And now you won't even get out off the couch for me. You won't even sit down and have a patient conversation with me. You won't even make any effort at the relationship. And you make me feel bad about me and it makes me feel bad about you and us. This is what Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. You don't make me feel like I'm very desirable, and I'm not okay with that. If the only time you're romantic is when you're in trouble, well, it's a guilt offering. I mean, it's really not romance. But you communicate uh, value in many ways verbally. Pet names and praise and verbal affection is one of the ways that you communicate to your spouse. You never cut each other down. You never call each other bad names. You never do that. You, you always speak value to your spouse verbally. You also speak value in what you're willing to give up. When Karen and I went through the hardest part of our marriage, work and golf had replaced Karen. And because I was not willing to give that up, I had devalued her. And the day that I gave both of those things up for her and put them in their right place, I began to communicate to her again that she was the most valuable thing in my life. Another way that, w- that we communicate Uh, Value is creatively, in other words, by the creative things that we do. Uh, I did my uncle's funeral uh, here in Amarillo, and uh, he died. My aunt came to me, and she said, "Uh, "Jimmy, will you do his funeral?" I said, "Sure." And so I was, you know, talking with her, preparing his eulogy, uh, and I said, "Well, just tell me some things about him, you know, so I can talk about him." And she said, "Uh, "Listen, they're married for 40 years," she said. Every day of our married lives for 40 years, he wrote me a new poem and left it on the dining table. I said, What? You know, there's only so many ways you can do roses are red, violets are blue. I love you. And 40 years, every day, he took the mental and emotional energy, and they had a great marriage. They had a great marriage. Think about that being creative, coming out of your world, that's how you fell in love. You just, you were creative and you communicated in many ways to each other how valuable you were. And then when you get into the static area of marriage or the entropic area of marriage, all that falls apart. And then number four, way that you create romance is empathy. Empathy means the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. It means thinking about another person and putting yourself in their place rather than just being completely disinterested and passive and dispassionate. These are the 12 phases of instinctive romantic love. When you fall in love, here's the natural phases of what happens. Number one, awareness, I become aware of you. Number two, interest, I'm I'm aware of you and I'm interested. Number three, there's some kind of a positive exchange. We talk, we talk on the phone, there's something positive that happens. Number four, romantic interest. Now I desire you know, to be with you romantically. Number five, high emotional focus. I am focused, I'm empathetic. Now you've got my attention and I'm obsessed with you. Number six, positive romantic exchange. Number seven, strong feelings of love and passion. We are falling in love because we're so focused We're so investing in each other, now we're falling in love. Number eight, deepening relational bonds. Now we're in love, now we have a great relationship. Number nine, normalcy. Routine, lack of novelty, you begin to coast. You like what you have and you just begin to coast. Number 10, reality, conflict, difficulty, fatigue, illness. Number 11, distraction and disinterest. Number 12, loss of romance. Let me go back just real quick to Hebrews, uh, to Revelation where Jesus was talking to the church at Ephesus that had left their first love and here's what Jesus said to them. Remember where you fell from. He tells, he tells them, I'm not okay. I'm not okay with you losing your first love. And he says this to them. I want you to remember where you fell from. I want you to repent and I want you to do your first works. I want you to do what you did at the beginning. Okay, you Don't have to work up any feeling. If you're here, if you're watching right now, or listening and you've lost your romantic love, you don't have to work up any emotions, that's, that's what it is. Jesus said, do you remember what you used to do at the beginning, related to us? Do you remember the way you talked to me, how you sacrificed, how you pursued me? Do you remember that, okay, good. Now I want you to change your mind. The word repent means two things. It means change your thinking and it means turn around, okay? So he's saying, you're going the wrong direction, I want you to stop, I want you to remember now the way it was at the beginning, I want you to stop, and I want you to begin to do the things you did at first. There was a counselor, I I read a report this year about a marriage counselor, I think it was a woman, really smart woman, and she had these crisis couples in marriage counseling, and she said to these crisis couples, I want you to come back in a week, and between now and the time you come back, I want each of you to think, of three things that you did when your marriage was good that you're not doing now, and I want you to do those three things. That's very wise. I want you to remember what you did, not how you felt. I want you to remember what you did when your marriage was good, and in the next week, I want you to do those three things, then come back and see me. Uh, According to her report, some of the couples would not. That they didn't feel like it. Their feelings, they, they worshiped their feelings, they followed their feelings, and they followed them right into the pit. But some of the couples did. They left her office and they began to think, well, you know, I used to do this, I used to do this, I used to do this. And for the next seven days, they did, without feeling, they did the things they used to do in their marriage. Every single couple who did what she said, came back and said, we feel better about our marriage today. Something has changed. Here's what happens. When you do the right thing, your emotions will follow along. Don't worship your emotions. You may be at a place right now in your marriage you say, I just don't feel like it. I get that, but Karen and I didn't. We just, we just obeyed. We, did, we just began to do, me especially, I just began to do the right thing and our feelings, our emotions were healed. We fell back in love. And so empathy just simply says, I'm focused on you and work, work is not gonna take me away from you and if it has, I repent. The kids are not gonna take me away from you and if they have, I repent. If anything anything has taken my focus off of you, I'm not gonna get rid of you, I'm gonna get rid of it or I'm gonna put it in its right place. Hebrews 13 uh, says, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means two things. He will never physically leave us and he'll never take his attention off of us. God is emotionally focused on you. And God says is a promise to all of us, I will never physically desert you and I will never turn my heart away. Because you can be right next to a person whose heart is not turned toward you and you know their heart's not turned toward you and they're not paying attention to you and they're not being romantic. So all of us need romance. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Meeting unspoken needs and desires in each other, speaking love in our spouse's language, communicating unique value that you don't communicate to anybody else, and being empathetic and emotionally connected. Those four things create romance, and keep the, the marriage dynamic. It never, ever gets static or entropic. It's always dynamic. And if your marriage is bad, this is the way you rust-proof it. This is the way you get rid of all the damage and take your marriage back to where it should be. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success If you do it God's way, if you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, Hey, subscribe to the marriage today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out xomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.